Good morning, and we want to welcome you to our services together today, and we appreciate so much your presence here with us. And for those of you who are joining online, thank you so much for taking time this morning to be a part of our worship and our celebration of faith together here. Just a couple of quick announcements before we begin our time of prayer. Uh, we do have, as we've mentioned the last couple of weeks, new tithe and offering boxes in the foyer in different locations. They're smaller boxes up about eye level, so uh, please look for those and you can continue to give online or bring your offering by the uh, church office during the week. Our next new member orientation sessions will be held on Sunday morning, August the 15th and 22nd at 10 o'clock during the Sunday school hour. If you're interested uh, in being a part of those sessions, let us know and we'll be happy to get you signed up. And then we pray and believe that our Wednesday evening schedules will be back in full schedule in operation on uh, Wednesday, August the 18th, beginning with our meals at 5 o'clock, followed by our full activity and program. Just a quick update, uh, Pastor Craig, during the middle of the week, did test positive for COVID, uh, so he and Belinda both are uh, quarantining at home, staying in. He said he's making progress, not completely well yet, but I saw him from a distance on Friday, delivered some things to the house for them, uh, set him on the doorstep and quickly left. But uh, he said to let everybody know he is feeling better and he appreciates so much your prayers for he and Belinda both uh, during this time. Also, Fred and Kim Scarborough have both tested positive for COVID, so we want to be in prayer for them as well. Uh, at this time, we want to begin our service with prayer. If you'd like to come and kneel at the steps here at the altar, feel free to do so. If you'd like to pray where you are, uh, then we encourage you to join with us during this time. Let us pray together. Almighty God, as we gather together this morning, we do so with a sense of deep, heartfelt gratitude for your grace, your mercy, and your presence in our lives. We thank you, Father, that you have called us to yourself through faith in Jesus Christ, that you have drawn us into your presence, that we might be loved and love others. Father, I pray during this time together that as we sing, we would lift our hearts and voices to you with praise and thanksgiving. As we pray together that we would be drawn to the throne of grace that, Father, as we hear your word spoken later in the service by Jonathan, that you would touch his heart, fill him with your spirit as he shares the message of God's word with us. And may we hear and may we respond with obedience and faithfulness. Father, we thank you for our time each week and we pray your blessings upon Pastor Craig, Belinda, Kim, and Fred and others who are, are ill at this time. We pray that you would give them strength and healing and recovery. May we continue to trust you in all things. Father, what a joy it is to be a part of your church, to be a part of your family. Through Christ our Lord, we pray. Amen. Stand with us as we sing together. What a wonderful change in my life has been wrought since Jesus came into my heart. My soul for which long I have sought, since Jesus came into my heart, since Jesus came into my heart. 
future in heaven for sure There in those mansions of life And it's because of that wonderful day When at the cross I believe Riches eternal and blessings supernal From His precious hand I receive Heaven came down and glory filled my soul When at the cross the Savior made me whole My sins were washed away And my life was turned to day Heaven came down and glory filled my soul couple of weeks ago, uh, Brother Kevin, I mean, excuse me, Pastor Craig sent it to me, uh, sent me a text that had the story of this old hymn uh, written by a guy by the name of Charles Weigel, had gone through a very dark time in his life. His wife had left him because of his uh, faith in Christ. She didn't want to live in that lifestyle. And so she left him, moved to Hollywood. And about five years later, uh, Weigel had just gone through such a hard time, uh, but he kept his faith. And on his wife's deathbed, she told her daughter, if you know where Charles is, contact him and have him pray for me. She remembered the life that Christ had brought after all that time. And so the daughter called or talked to um, Charles Weigel. And Charles sat down at the piano and wrote this old hymn. Once we've been saved, just as we've sung this morning, we can always know that no one, no one will ever care for us the way that Jesus does. This is a wonderful old hymn. Sing it with us. I would love to tell you what I think of Jesus Since I found in Him a friend so strong and true I would tell you how He changed my life completely He did something that no other friend could do No one ever cared for me like Jesus There's no other friend so kind as He No one else could take the sin and darkness from me Oh, how much He cared for me All my life was full of sin when Jesus found me all my heart was full of misery and woe Jesus placed his strong and loving arms around me And he led me in the way I ought to go No one ever cared for me like Jesus There's no other friend so kind as he and darkness from me Oh, how much He cared for me Every day He comes to me with new assurance 
team. Well, good morning. It's uh, great to see everybody this morning. Obviously not the best of circumstances, but uh, I am encouraged that Pastor Greg is feeling better and look forward to having him back next week, and I'm sure you all will as well. Most of you are aware that in the past weeks we started a study in 1 Timothy, and Pastor Craig is in the middle of a three-part session of 1 Timothy chapter 2, which he'll complete next week. And in his absence, I found out Wednesday that uh, he needed me to fill the pulpit for him, and uh, he said, just preach on anything that God lays on your heart, which sometimes is not always easy, especially with a short time to prepare. But as I prayed and studied through Scripture this week, I felt the Holy Spirit lead me to preach on another one of Paul's letters, and that's 1 Corinthians. I feel like this passage we're going to examine this morning in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 ties into our study of 1 Timothy, and it serves as a great reminder and warning for our church today. And I invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start in the first verse, but before we get there, I want to give you a quick overview and understanding of the book of 1 Corinthians. It's an instructive and corrective letter written to Jewish and Gentile believers. The letter is both practical and doctrinal, and we've been talking about a lot about sound doctrine in 1 Timothy. Corinth was the most important city in all of Greece in Paul's day. It was wealthy, a bustling city. That was known for culture, art, schools of language, schools of philosophy. And much like our society today, their gods became pleasure, lust, and luxury. Confusion had crept into the church at Corinth because the believers failed to recognize Jesus Christ as Lord. And I think that serves as a great reminder for us this morning that Jesus must be Lord of our lives, not just our Savior. The people of Corinth had lost sight of that. And they were blinded by their self-admiration, self-will, and self-indulgence. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? The church in Corinth was in chaos and disorder. And so Paul is writing this letter to help put things in order. And I hope we understand that we serve a God of order. Not a rigid God, but a structured God of order. Paul writes in chapter 14, verse 40 of 1 Corinthians, But all things should be done decently and in order. In Warren Risby's commentary of 1 Corinthians, he summarizes the section we're going to be in in this letter with three profound statements talking about order, and he uses the word balance. And we're going to be in the last part of this section, but in chapter 8, he says knowledge must be balanced by love. In chapter 9, authority must be balanced by discipline. And then here this morning, in chapter 10, in the first 22 verses, experience must be balanced by caution. 
And in this scripture passage, Paul is giving Corinth a warning by using Israel's history as an example. Three warnings, actually, and these are going to be on the screen as well. He warns that privileges are no guarantee for success in verses 1 through 4. He warns that a good start does not always guarantee a good end in verses 5 through 12. And Paul warns about the dangers of temptation in verses 13 through 22. And you can read all about that history and the dangers in more detail if you desire in the book of Exodus and Numbers. But Paul's history lesson is a sobering illustration of the dangers of overconfidence and the abuse of freedom. I don't know about you, but wouldn't you rather learn from someone else's mistakes than make some of those same dreadful and painful mistakes yourself? And we have that opportunity by studying the scripture and looking at Israel as our example. I I laughed when I read the quote from Mark Twain in Tongue in Cheek said, No man is worthless, he can always serve as a bad example. And unfortunately and fortunately, we have bad examples in the Bible. We have some good examples as well. Let's go to the Lord's Word in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, and we're going to break this up in two sections. I'm going to read the first 13 verses and unpack that, and then we'll finish. And that's where we'll spend most of our time, and then at the end, we'll look at the last part. 1 Corinthians 10, starting in verse 1, Paul writes, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud, and all passed through the sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. And all ate the same spiritual food, and all drank the same spiritual drink, for they drank from the spiritual rock and they followed, and that followed them, and rock, that rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters, as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents, nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to gather this morning for fellowship and worship and worship of studying your word. We ask, Lord, that uh, we read your word and take heed to these instructions and these examples. And we ask that your blessing be upon the reading and study of your word. And we ask these things in the name of Jesus. Amen. So as we read these scriptures, in the first three verses, we see Paul uses the word all four times. And he does this to get the point across to the Corinthians that the entire community of faith participated in the divine blessings of God. And then in verse 4 he says, For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Some Jews believe that the actual rock Moses struck followed them throughout their wilderness journey, providing them water. But Paul is saying they do have a rock providing all they need. But that one true rock is Jesus Christ. The pre-incarnate Messiah is who protected and sustained his people. And let me encourage you this morning, this would be a great encouragement. Psalm 18 says Jesus is our rock and our fortress. We have that same rock and fortress sustaining and protecting us. 
And we need to drink from that spiritual rock each day if we desire him to protect and sustain us. Then in verse 5, it says God was not pleased. I think that's obvious that God wasn't pleased and why he wasn't pleased. Because of Israel's disobedience, God allowed only two of the original men who left Egypt to enter the promised land. Two million came out of Egypt and only two, Joshua and Caleb. Enter the promised land. All the others died in the wilderness, and they died in the wilderness because of their failure, their lack of self-discipline, and their indulgence in fleshly desires. And we're studying self-discipline. I don't know if our house, our pillars have gone away, but we're studying self-discipline as one of the pillars of truth when we're studying 1 Timothy. Then Paul goes into five examples of sin and disobedience of Israel that we can learn from. And he starts with verse 6. Do not desire evil. Now, these things took place as examples for us that we might not desire evil as they did. In other words, they desired things of the world and the flesh more than they desired the things of God. And it all started within their hearts, in their heart and their desires. And then it spirals out of control from there. Our hearts should desire the holy things of God, not the evil things of the world. The next Example is verse 7 says, do not be idolaters. Paul uses Exodus chapter 32 as the eye-opening example here. He says, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. This was not fun and games play. If you want to read that, there's some nasty sinning going on. And because of that, 3,000 were executed for this sick idolatry. So let me ask you a question. I think it's actually on the next slide, so we may have to go back. But what is an idol? What is an idol? Well, an idol is anything that you are more devoted to than God. It could be people. It could be your spouse. It could be your kids, a friend. It could be possessions, your home, a car, a boat. It could be money, career. It could be sports. It could be entertainment. It could be technology. And I think if we're all honest, most of us have been guilty at some point in our lives of some form of idolatry. And someone in here this morning or someone watching online is battling this sin in your life today. And let me just stop and say here, do not wait for God to reveal that you are putting something else before Him. That's going to be a painful uh, revelation if you wait on Him to reveal it. And so examine yourself this morning. Repent if necessary and put God first in your life today. Make make sure you have things in order. Verse 8, we have another example of Israel's failure. It says, we must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in a single day. What's Paul talking about there? Well, most likely he's referring to Numbers chapters 22 through 25, where King Balak hires Balaam to get rid of God's people. So Balaam starts off with trying to curse God's people. However, every time he tries to curse God's people, God causes him to bless the people. So he gets frustrated, so what does he do? He sends the Moabite women in to tempt the men. And guess what? They failed. Shocker, right? Knucklehead men failed. They succumbed to the temptation of these women and participated in gross immorality. So God takes them out. Kills 23,000. Now, Paul could be talking still about Exodus 32, 28, where the 3,000 were killed by the Levites. And then just seven verses later in verse 35 in Exodus 32, where 20,000 died because of a plague. That equals 23,000. 
But listen, in either of these cases, do you not think, church family, that it is clear that God despises sexual immorality and that we in our world today need to take heed to this warning? Verse 9, we must not put Christ to the test, as some of them did, and were destroyed by serpents. Again, in the Old Testament, Numbers chapter 21 records the story of people questioning the goodness of God and His plan. They questioned their provider, their protector, and their spiritual rock. They tried to test Him, and it didn't end well for Him. He sends snakes, and fiery snakes at that. Now, I don't know about you. But I hate snakes. Anything that can move around like that without legs has got to be the devil, right? They, they freak me out. So when I read something like this as an example, and we've all been tempted to question God, to test Him, ask why, why me? Just think about snakes. Go to this verse. Think about snakes, and you'll have second thoughts of questioning God. And that's what these scriptures are here for, for us to learn as an example. And then the last sin and form of disobedience is do not grumble or complain because some were destroyed. Most of us have been guilty of this for sure. We've all grumbled and complained. Numbers 14, the Israelites are whining that they would have been better off staying in Egypt as a slave, right? That you had us wander around all this time and this is all you got, God? That's it? Wah, wah, wah? And the principle here is we need to learn to be content where God has you. Learn to be content where God has you. I think back to Christmas time, and we always say, a lot of us say, Jesus is the reason for the season. Well, Jesus is the reason for the season of life he has you in right now. So be content where God has you and serve him and honor him and glorify him and how you go about serving him. Have an attitude of gratitude. I remember reading about a pastor who gave a sermon series on the sins of the saints, and one member of the church disapproved of the series and uh, after the last sermon, he came up and told the pastor, sin in the life of a Christian is much different from the sin in the life of an unsaved person. Don't you think, pastor? And the pastor said, yeah, it's worse. Church, we cannot think that because the Jews were under the law that their sins were somehow worse than our sins today and we're going to be more severely punished. Sin in the church today is far more serious because we have the example of Israel to learn from. Listen, to sin against the law is one thing. To sin against grace is a whole other ballgame. So we are to read what God's people did in the past and how their decisions and actions affected their relationship with God so that we can learn from them and learn how to grow in our personal faith. Just look at verse 11. Verse 11 says again, Now these things happened to them as an example, but they are written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. So again, we're told these are examples. They're warnings as godly instruction for us. The end of the ages is the time of the Messiah, the last days of the redemptive history before the Messianic kingdom. And in my study, this took me to Hebrews 9, 26. I love this verse. For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Time is short, church. The return of King Jesus, he's coming. Are you ready? Do you have things in order? Everything in God's word 
exists for our example, our warning and our example. Let me give you a scripture. Just write down the reference. You don't have to turn there, but let me give you a scripture to cling to this morning that will encourage you. Romans 15, 4. Romans 15, 4 says, For whatever was written in the former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. That's an awesome verse to memorize. And my prayer, since the middle of this week, my hope and prayer for everyone in here this morning and everyone watching online is that you walk away from this morning's message encouraged and with the hope of the instruction of the Holy Scriptures and that you're getting that every day in your personal Bible study time. Verse 12 says, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. Overconfidence. The Bible's full of examples of overconfidence, right? Proverbs 16, 18 says, pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. If, if you're again looking for some more homework, go to Esther chapter 3 through 5, Isaiah chapter 37, Luke chapter 22, Revelation chapter 3. These are all biblical examples of overconfidence, the dangers and the consequences of it. None of us have arrived. None of us have all the answers. All of us sin and all of us can fail. We must humble ourselves, repent when necessary, and listen to this. Call upon the Holy Spirit of God to empower you so that you can obey Him and serve Him during the age that we are living in and be a beacon of hope. For Christ. You can't do it alone. You have to call upon the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 13 is a long but rich verse and tells us pretty much all we need to know about temptation. No temptation has overtaken you. That is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. This verse teaches us several truths about temptation in just one verse. And the first is, pride is the root of all temptation failure. Again, overconfidence, right? Or, or people that point the finger, oh, I would never do that. Can you believe that they fell to that sin? Or, or just pointing the fingers and judging, right? So there's somebody, and I'm going to pick on my friend because he's back in town. There's somebody that probably points the finger at John Latimer when he's riding his motorcycle and looks like hell's angels driving down the road and says, can you believe he would ride that motorcycle? It's so dangerous, right? But let's be more serious. What happens when someone's marriage fails or somebody that you work with goes through a terrible, terrible time? Do we look at them with pride and say, well, I would never do that? Or do we say, but for the grace of God, go I. When we think we're strong, we are weak. This verse also teaches us everyone will be tempted. It's not a matter of if we'll be tempted, it's a matter of when. It teaches us everyone experiences similar temptation. It says common to man. This is, it's normal. You're not the only one going through it. It teaches us that God does not allow us to be tempted beyond our ability, and God provides the way to escape and endure. So we all face the temptations just as the Old Testament saints did. But we do not have to choose disobedience like they did. And you say, how, Norton? How do we do that? Why can you say that? I say that because the power of sin over us was put to death on the cross. And if you have trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
then you have the Holy Spirit living in you that empowers you with wisdom and power to overcome sin and obey Him. Is it hard? Absolutely. But whenever you're tempted, pray to God to remind you of these awful consequences that follow sin and disobedience. Ask Him to show you the escape hatch. Ask Him to give you the power necessary to endure the temptation and the ability to obey His Word. Let me give you five ways to overcome temptation. They're going to be on the screen, and I'm going to read through them real quick, and then I'm going to give you some Scripture references. That I encourage you just to write down the Scripture. Don't try to turn there, and then go back and study them on your own. But the first way to overcome temptation is battle the temptation. The second is follow the example of Jesus. The third is run from the presence of temptation. Fourth, fellowship with other believers. And the fifth is dwell in the Word of God, what we're doing here this morning. Let's go back. Battle the temptation. The battle starts on your knees in prayer. I hope we get that. It starts with prayer, being prepared. But we, we learned earlier, a few weeks ago in 1 Timothy, that we're to fight the good fight, that we're to wage the good warfare. Ephesians 6, 11, put on the whole armor of God. Armor means there's a battle that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. You have to take a stand. 1 Peter 5, 8 and 9, be watchful. Your adversary prowls around like a lion, right? Looking to devour. And then it says in verse 9, resist him, firm in your faith. So it's a daily battle. It's not a once a week, not a once a month. It's a daily battle. The second way to overcome temptation is follow the example of Jesus. 1 Peter 2.21 says it clearly. For this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. And then Paul tells us in Romans 13.14, put on the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? We're, he's our model. Follow him. Follow his example. Third way to overcome temptation is run from the presence of temptation. I think of Joseph running from Potiphar's wife. Just ran right out of his coat. I think about me running from snakes. I'm gone. I don't care if it's that big or an anaconda. I'm running. Get out of it. 1 Timothy 6.11. Flee these things. Pursue righteousness. Run from sin. Pursue holiness. 2 Timothy 2.22. So flee youthful passions and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace. And listen to this, along with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. And this leads right into the fourth, fellowshipping with other believers. Isolation, being alone, is the ideal environment for temptation. We must be held accountable. Paul writes later in 1 Corinthians 15, 33, Do not be deceived, bad company ruins good morals. Proverbs 13, 20, Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. So who are you fellowshipping with? And then lastly, dwell in the Word of God. I thought of Psalm 119.11, right? I have stored up your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And then the other thing that was really encouraging is Jesus, following the example of Jesus, what about how He responded when He was tempted by Satan in the wilderness in Matthew 4? How did He respond? It is written. Every time Satan's had something for him, it is written. He went to the Word of God. He just quoted the Word of God. We need to do the same thing. Have his word stored up in our heart, and when we're tempted, quote it. Pray over it. Those are the ways we can overcome temptation. Now, quickly, let's look at the last part 
of this passage in verses 14 through 22, where we see the Lord's Supper as the example, but it's still an example of, his, of Israel's history. Verse 14 says, therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. There we go again. Like, run from idolatry. Get, a, get away from it. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread, we who are many are one body, for we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in, their, in the altar. What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. I imply that what pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink from the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? Let me quickly just talk about this. First, the word, participa the word participation is used twice here in verse 16. It's the same Greek word that Paul uses four other times in his other letters. And the word means to have com in common, to participate and have partnership with. And then in verse 18, he, again, we see Israel as the example of Paul, and he uses the Lord's Supper as the illustration of truth. It says, consider the people of Israel are not those who eat the sacrifices, participants in the altar. In the Old Testament, Scripture's sacrifices were on behalf of all who ate. And by this action, the people were identifying, listen to that word, identifying with the offering and affirming their devotion to God. Paul was saying here that any sacrifice then made to an idol was identifying with that idol and participating with that idol. Dr. David Jeremiah says this, quote, The table of the Lord's Supper is central to the life of the church for so many reasons, in part to identify believers with the Lord Jesus Christ. That's one of the reasons we take part in the Lord's Supper. So Paul was telling us we cannot participate in both the Lord's Supper and the worship of the world's idols at the same time. He's saying you can't sit at the Lord's table and sit at the table with demons. you got to pick a table. We're called to be distinct. The scriptures say set apart a royal priesthood, not blended with the world. And, so, and remember the temple of Aphrodite that was located in Corinth had thousands of temple prostitutes. And these pagan temples had sacrifices that evoked demons. That's what Paul's talking about here. And just, just listen to this, church. An idol can be used by Satan to lead us into sin. And yes, according to the scriptures in Deuteronomy 32 and Psalm 106, idolatry is demonic. This is a serious warning, church. And we have lots of idols in our society today. Paul closes this part of the passage, verse 22, are we stronger than he? This last verse of the passage is directed at those Christians who think they are strong enough to enjoy the pleasures of the pagan world and not be harmed. My, how they are mistaken. I think it's clear from reading from Paul this morning that God tolerates no competition and he will not allow idolatry to go unpunished. These 22 verses provide all the warning we should need. We cannot serve two masters. 
We're either in Christ or we're of the world. And every one of us must ask and answer the question, which cup do I drink from? Now, as we close, if you're watching online, have made a decision, or just have questions about baptism, joining the church, please call the number on the screen, 678-632-2115. Someone on our church staff would love to talk with you, love to pray with you if you would want us to. And for those here in person, if you want to learn more about how you can be saved and make, have assurance that you're going to heaven, then stop by with Kevin out front in the lobby or I'll be down here in the front. If you want to talk about baptism, you want to talk about joining the church, please stop by and see us. We'd love to talk to you. I'm going to close in prayer and then you will be dismissed to go to our Sunday school small group time. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. God, thank you for giving us unrest in our souls when you bring uncomfortable truths to the surface. Thank you for showing us the errors of your people in the past so we can see them as warnings to us today. We pray that you begin a new process in our hearts today as we leave this place, clear out the idols in our own lives. Father, we desire you to be first in our hearts. And may our lives reflect that in how we live, how we treat others, how we respond to others. And we ask these things in the holy name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for being here. You're dismissed.